church and to pastors. Good to see everybody out today. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate those that are online that are joining us today. We've been getting texts and emails from people online throughout the morning. And uh, pray for me while I preach today. My voice, as you can tell, is in pretty rough shape. But I believe God will take us on through. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Appreciate that. Anybody out there love me? All right. Appreciate that. All righty. Um, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and they're going to put the scriptures up on the wall. We're going to look at several different scriptures. First of all, read them, and then we'll get right into the message. And while they're putting that scripture up on the wall, let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we need your help just as much as we ever did the first time we was ever preaching. And Lord, I want to preach to the glory of God. I want to be obedient to the word of God, and I want to preach the truth in love. I want to preach it with the right attitude and the right spirit, with the right purpose and the right goal. That which would glorify your holy name and be for the good of these people. And the Lord, enable us to be salt and light in this decadent country. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll quicken my mind and my heart. Fill me with the spirit of the living God. And Lord, we just pray for these families today and these homes and marriages, individuals, that you'll bless them and help us to feed on that meat and that manna from heaven that we just read about. And Lord, we pray that we will drink, uh, Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ in that spiritual sense, his words are spirit. And Lord, that we receive Christ and we feed on Christ. And Lord, his, he is our life. And so God, today I pray that you'll bless this service and God just help folks today to have a listening heart in Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter two, we left off We've preached about prayer down through from verses one through eight, but I want to pick up at verse number eight on the wall there. If you don't have a Bible, you can read that, but I do want to encourage you always bring your Bible and mark verses and write down things that God maybe speaks to your heart with. He said in verse number, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Now, uh, he's, God always deals with men in responsibility to spiritual things and, and of course, uh, leadership. And uh, before you go into verse number nine, he's going to talk about women from verse nine through verse number 15. And he's going to talk about the subject of modesty and also order in the church and so forth. Now, uh, but one thing I want to say here, it says men, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And God's got a reason for that being where it's at. In Psalms chapter 24 and verses 3 and 4, the Bible talks, who shall approach the, 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 the mountain of God? In other words, he said, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. All right. Now, that's a direct reference back to that. And what God is saying, men, you have the prior, before, before God starts talking about the women and their responsibilities and what they're to do in the church. He said, you men, make sure that your hands are clean and that your heart is pure. Because he said, if it's not, it's going to affect the lady. It's going to affect your wives. Men have the prior responsibility in spiritual leadership. And that's one of the things he's teaching the church right here is that men. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I believe this with all my heart. In fact, he's going to confirm this later in the verse. But now he moves from that truth about men with holy hands. In like manner also that women. Now, in chapter 3, flip your Bible over to chapter 3, verse 15. Is the key verse to the whole book. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. He's not just talking about how you behave yourself when you go to church. He's talking about your entire life as a part of the body of Christ and the church of Christ. Amen. Now, he said, I'm going to, he said, I'm telling you men how to behave. I'm telling you men how to live. He said, you men live with a pure heart and clean hands. And so that'll affect your families right, affect your, your wives right, and your children right. Then he says, ladies, women, he said, adorn themselves in modest apparel. And this is what I'm going to preach on this morning, is the adornment of women. The adornment of women. He said uh, that they adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. 
Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. I want you to take a little note right here. Now, tonight I'm going to preach on verse 11 through 15. It's going to be one of the most important messages you'll ever hear. It'll help you understand what's really going on in America, and, and, and not America, but in our homes and churches. Adam was not deceived, but he was disobedient. The woman was deceived, but Adam was disobedient. And there's a great truth tonight we're going to get to in that. And he said, the woman being deceived was in the transgression. If you want to understand more of why God is saying what he's saying, you need to go back to Genesis. And we're going to do that and to the book of Revelation. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith. Four things here tells women to do. Continue in faith, charity, holiness, with sobriety. Now we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, if you want to take your Bibles and just kind of lay a scriptural foundation to this. 1, Timothy, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Likewise, you wives, <clears throat> be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Only place in the Bible where it says somebody can get saved without the Bible. That a woman by her chaste conversation can win her husband to Christ. While they behold, while who beholds? Your husband. While your husband beholds your chaste conversation. Chaste means pure, godly, modest, holy. Not worldly, not flashy. While they behold the chaste conversation, by the way, that's your entire lifestyle, not just what you're wearing. Coupled with fear. Look at verse number three. There's this word again, adorning. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. But let it what? That adorning be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament and the word ornament comes. The word adorning comes from two words, add ornaments, adorn, add ornaments. Okay. You see these words the Holy Spirit is using, even the ornament. Here's an ornament God wants you to put on a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price may not mount to much of the world. But God said in my sight. It's a great price. After this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God. And by the way, y'all don't line it because that's what it takes. You just have trusting about this stuff. Who trusted in God. Here's that word. Adorned themselves. They added ornaments. Oh, y'all, y'all all worried about the message today. Yes, we'll not be worried. I'm going to preach the Bible. <laughs> well, the devil likes it and anybody likes it. Amen. Adorn themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with him according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together or the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are there to call that ye should inherit a blessing. Now, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As I said, we're going to just lay a scriptural foundation for all of this and then get right into the word and try to preach quick. Now, I can't, cannot emphasize too much about the message tonight. For the message this morning to have its <coughs> biblical true effect, you will need to hear the message tonight. Because unless you do, thank you, brother. I appreciate that so much. Unless you do, you won't get everything and have the understanding about it because it's, isn't it interesting that when God mentions modesty for women 
to dress. By the way, let me just say that he addressed modesty in men way before he addressed modesty in, in women. If you go back to the Old Testament, God set the modesty standard for men in the priesthood. Yes, sir. He told men, you don't, you don't build steps up to that altar because it might show your thigh. Are oh, you listening to me? So don't give me this nonsense. It's all about women. Uh-uh. God addressed the modesty of men before. And by the way, men ought to be modest. Amen. You ought to button your shirt up and not worry about somebody seeing them two dog hairs you pasted on your chest. Amen. Amen. Button your shirt. <laughs> I'm just being honoring. But men ought to be modest. Amen. Don't ask your wife to be modest if you're not willing to be modest. And by the way, that modesty, men, is more than outward appearance. It's modesty of the heart. See, your wife, really, your wife really knows who you are, whether you have a modest spirit, men, or not. And a lot of times us men are wanting our wives to be modest. We're not modest. We're not modest in our spirit, not modest in our attitude, not modest in our action. We're telling our women to be modest and our women watch us look at women that are immodest with lust in our eyes. That's stupid hypocrisy. Amen. Amen. You want your wife to be modest and you just. You got roving eyes, always looking for something halfway undressed that you can gawk at. And you want your wife to sit in church and be modest. You're a hypocrite. Okay, if it's me or your grandpa. Are we having a good time yet? Amen. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 14. And I really don't. Verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are under commandment to be in obedience, as thus saith the law. For if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in church. That's one of the wisest things you'll ever read in the Bible. Ladies, go to your husband. Don't create jealousy of your husband toward a preacher. You say, well, my husband don't know the Bible. Well, he might know more than you think he does. And God also has placed him in that position and he might have wisdom that is in the Bible that God by his spirit would give him. God didn't qualify you having a submissive and a subjective spirit to your husband by his, whether he's even saved or not. God wants you to honor your husband. And the worst thing you can do is that, well, Brother Reggie said, don't you ever do that. It don't matter about Brother Reggie. It's what the Bible says. Amen. Don't say Brother Reggie said, say the Bible said, but don't get in the fuss. Tell your husband you need his spiritual leadership. Tell him with honest heart and humble heart, honey, I need your spiritual leadership. I got questions. We're going to talk tonight about how God, how God created. I'll jump here a little bit. God created Adam to be moved. He's moved by his head, how he thinks, logic. He took Eve out of his heart. She thinks with her heart. Hearts think. The Bible tells you so. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And a woman is ruled more by how she feels than by logic. It's part of the, and it's going to take you all the way back to Genesis. I'll tell you, it'll, it'll take care of marital problems. It'll help you be here tonight and hear this. Anyway, I want us to go to one last thing in Titus chapter 2. Lord, please help my voice. Titus chapter 2, if I can find it. Verse number, wonderful passage of scripture here on this subject. Titus chapter 2, verse number 1. But I speak the things which become, what? Sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, patience. Aged women likewise, they be in behavior becometh holiness. Behavior as becometh holiness. Ladies, I'd underline that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't let somebody's carving out idea about that affect you. We're talking about biblical holiness, not religious holiness. Not false accusers, not giving much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. And there's a reason for all this. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Word of God be not blasphemed. Serious business. Um, 
<coughs> there's a little over 700 references to hell in the Bible. But there's more references to clothing in the Bible than there is to hell. When God saved Adam and Eve, first thing he did was clothe them. First thing. And salvation, now here's what will get you, don't finish up with this. Salvation is pictured as being clothed. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Clothing is a very, very important. Do not mitigate, make light of, or, or cast off the issue of clothing in the Bible because you make a bad mistake. It's a very serious issue. It's affecting our country, and I'm going to show you how, how bad it is. I'm going to show you some slides before we're done here today. Now, <clears throat> I want, can you put up that, that range? Now, I'm going to tell a little story here, and it ain't all going to be true. It's just to illustrate, okay? Y'all see what that is? Anybody know what that is? That is a wall oven. That's a wall oven that is shot and headed toward uh, the, uh, uh, what do you call them places? Not the landfill, but the scrapyard. Scrapyard. Now that's a nice wall oven. How many ladies like a wall oven? You like a wall oven, okay. That's a nice wall oven. But it ain't good for nothing. Let me tell you what happened to it. Lady got it, and they hooked it all up showed her how to work it. She got to read the instruction book and it had in the instruction book an exact order of how you hit the buttons and so forth. You do this first and then you do this. You do A and then B and C and so on. And she got down the road two or three weeks with that, that wall oven and she decided that the instruction book was a waste of her time. And she decided that she liked her order better than she liked the manufacturer's order. <clears throat> so she began to hit buttons in the opposite of the order they said to hit. Well, there was first of all a little, and then there was a puff of smoke, and then there was, and that was the end of her wall oven. Now, let me tell you something. Here's, here's what I'm trying to get to. That wall oven going to the dump because it just simply thought, she simply thought she knew better than the person who made it. Are you listening to me? When you and I get to thinking that we know more than our maker, when you and I get to thinking that the instruction book ain't right, I don't like the way it says. God's, God talks about order. God is a God of order and a God of authority. If he wasn't, we'd be blown out in the universe today right now. Because by him all things consist. And when you start operating your life out of God's order, that's what's going to happen to you. You mark it in your day book. You start, well, I don't care what they, they said, do it in this order. I don't want their order. I'm going to do my order. Now, I'll be getting into more of that tonight. The Bible said women adorn. God has the right to tell you and I how to dress. God told men wear britches. That's Old Testament. Now he said, the apparel, let's go back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, if you've been here this morning for Sunday school class, you would have learned something. That we serve God and obey God from the heart in newness of the spirit and not in the letter of the law. So what I'm preaching to you today is not some bunch of law, legalism, junk. I am preaching to you the Bible, and you're going to make a decision to either go by God's order or not God's order. So you have an issue with this, you take it up God. This church's name is Liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's Liberty. God's not putting anybody in the bondage of rules and regulations and stuff and doing stuff that just to make you mad and upset. God created us. He designed us. He knows. He, he knows exactly how we operate and he has set forth the order. I want to say an introduction to every saved woman, mother, wife, daughter, should make a complete study of the women of the Bible. God says these women are written for your examples. 
I don't see how any woman could be a wise, godly, obedient woman without a knowledge of them. Without a knowledge of their lives, their strengths, their weaknesses, their patterns of behavior. There are wonderful women to be studied about, and there are women who made some terrible mistakes. And you can learn so much by studying them. Now the word adorn is, comes from a compound word, add ornaments. Oh, I tell you what, I read that, I thought, man, how neat that is. Add ornaments. Uh, how many has ever seen a lady look like Christmas tree? <laughs> how many has ever seen a lady look like she just used a caulking gun on herself? You know, but God says, God, here's what God says. And so I went to Webster 1828, the word adorn. It means to deck. It means that word deck comes from the word decorate. Isn't this neat? God says, I want you women to be decked out. Uh-huh. Some of you are going, whoa, I like this already. It means to deck with ornaments. It means to beautify. It means to dress up, to furnish. Now, this is 1828. Okay. It means to set off. It means to make beautiful. It means to add beauty by dress. To deck with external ornaments. Now, that's an external. But then there, there's, there's another deal. But there is an, an external ornament adorning and there's an internal adorning. Now, God knows you and I better than we know ourselves. Women generally are designed to want attention to be noticed. Now, how many has ever studied birds? A little bit. How many has ever studied the difference between female and male birds? Male birds are usually plain and ugly. Female birds, usually pretty. They're not. Well, if you go through the animal kingdom, you find out that females generally, like God has adorned them, more beautiful than the male animal. Now, if you think horns are pretty, that's just because you want some on your wall. Okay, but I'm talking about when you talk about beauty and so forth like that. There is an outer person and you have an inner person. God wants both to be beautiful in his sight. A person can have outward beauty, but have inward ugliness. A person can have inward beauty and it is always accompanied and affects the outward beauty of a person. So ladies and girls, God is instructing you about something. He wants you adorned. He wants you beautiful. Could we get that down? God wants you beautiful. He wants you adorned. And he does care about your outward appearance, by the way. And I I think it's good to take care of yourself and all that. But here's the truth point. The way you appear, the way you adorn outwardly is determined by whose acceptance and whose admiration you're seeking. Whose acceptance and whose admiration you're seeking reflects who you really love. God or the world. Because God's adornment is totally flip opposite from the way the world wants to adorn. The Bible said adorning themselves Who is adorning you? I want to ask you a question. Who is adorning you today? The world or the word? Adorn themselves in modest apparel. God says, I want you adorned. I want you beautiful. I want you set off. I want you in in beauty. But that adornment has to be set in modesty. You can be modest and be beautiful. But you'll never be immodest and be beautiful. Now, we're not talking about you wearing a sack. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you what I like. Y'all may not like this. Hey, we get people coming every week, leaving every week. You help yourself. I'm going to do what God told me to do. Amen. (laughs) I like dresses. I'm going to say something to some of you ain't going to like you. Some of you women ain't coming back. Some of you men ain't coming back. You, you're going to get ticked about something or you're going to go off on your spirit. I like puff sleeves. That's me. I think puff sleeves look nice. Boy, y'all quiet. 
I'm going to say something going to blow your socks off. I don't like denim skirts. That's the abominable snowman right there. I, I'm done. I've had it. You can just crucify me out of here somewhere pretty soon after church. I just, I just don't like them. I'm sorry. I like dresses. I do. I, I don't like great big puzzles. Don't, and don't come in here next week with one on, okay, if you ain't wearing them already. I don't want that. I'm just telling you what I like. Now, what I like don't mean beans. You know what? What Reggie likes, don't like. But I'm just being dead level honest with you. I like to see a lady look like a lady. I like a feminine look. I don't like fancy. I don't like extravagance. I like a feminine look that draws to her eyes and her face and not to her body. Because we men don't have any trouble getting attracted to your, seeing your body, I promise you. If you ain't figured that out, you know nothing. Modesty comes from the word moderation. It means to restrain from extremes. It means limited, free from excess, temperament, controlled by a biblical sense of purity and decency. Can I just say, if you don't get anything out of this message, get this here. If I have to detail to you what's modest and what's not, you ain't got it anyway. Won't help you a bit. If I've got to say, that's not modest, that, oh, that's my, if I've got to tell you that, every little thing to dress it up, you ain't got it, you ain't got it, you ain't, probably ain't going to get it. Amen. The Holy Ghost. Amen. And a little bit of horse sense. Yes. <laughs> and a little bit of right heart. Yes. Will tell you, you don't need a preacher to get to say, well, now this is kind of, with, come in with puff sleeves and no debt. Nah, you don't need that. You ain't dressing to please me or you're somebody else, are you? Who are you dressing to please? God Almighty. Okay. Now, I did that just to get your attention. It don't matter what I like or don't like. But I'm just being honest with you. I just kind of, you know, I, I kind of like, like dresses with flowers on them, polka dots, stuff like that. I just do. I can't help it. Don't be mad at me over it. But that don't mean I'm, that don't mean that that's the only thing is right. Okay, y'all know where I'm going with this. Let the Lord lead you. Modesty means not not loose and not lewd. Modesty means not sensual. Modesty means it, the result of my, this is this is old Webster eighteen twenty eight. Modest, true modesty results from purity of heart and mind. One can be dressed outwardly modestly, but in mind and heart and spirit is immodest. You can have a dress down to your big toe and it can be immodest. I've seen lots of them. True biblical modesty is adornment from the heart and mind and spirit that is pure and decent, surrendered and obedient to God's words, God's will, and God's design. He said, true modesty, this is what Webster said, boy, I like this. True modesty results from purity of mind, from the fear of disgrace and ignominy, fortified by principle and education. In other words, know what the Bible says. Unaffected modesty, I read this statement, I couldn't believe it. Unaffected modesty is the sweetest charm of female excellence. The richest gem in the diadem of a woman's honor. Wow. That's when America was great. So, biblical modesty is a joyful yielding to the word and, and the spirit of God's will in this arena. So what is and is not modest. Now I thought about putting up a bunch of slides and saying, how many thinks that's modest? But that'd have been stupid. And you don't need to see it up here anyway. I'm going to have some, I'm going to show you three or four slides and Joe graciously suggested that I pull one out while ago and I said, let's do it. 
I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but I'm, I'm kind of also a rough old preacher, and I, I believe in telling like it is, but I also believe in being, being listening to counsel and, and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To be immodest means any type of dressing or peril that violates the spirit and the letter of God's word. Immodest clothing exposes your flesh or the form of your flesh. It doesn't have to just be flesh. It can show the form of your flesh. Immodest dress draws the eye of others to your female anatomy in a sensual, seductive manner. Tight fitting so that it reveals your anatomy and body parts. That can be everything from dresses to slacks, skirts, dress, jeans, you name it. It can be any of those things. Immodesty, and I want everybody to get this, is also that which is non-feminine and masculine. The Bible said women are not, and men, men are not, let's just take men first. Men are, I should not be wearing a dress. That's right. That's right. I tell you what, I was preaching at an old country church up in, in LeCleague County one time, and I was, I was, a, I was a rolling in a going. I was about somewhere right down in there, and I said, if I came in in a dress tomorrow night, and there's an old grandpa jumped up and said, you better not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He's right. If you wear that, which appertains to a woman, you've got all this trans swimmer garbage going on right now, yeah. and all these companies folding, the government's folding, everything, and saying they're going to defend them to the death. You know what? I'm going to show you the hypocrisy of the liberal left. They claim to be for women's rights, but they don't have a problem with some man getting dressed up like a woman and participating in women's sports and killing it and ruining it for women. You talk about you, you bunch of hypocrites. I want to look right in that camera. You bunch of hypocrites. You don't love women. You use them. Immodesty draws the eyes of others to your body and not to your to your character. If a preacher or a dad or a mother has to tell you what is modesty after you're in your teen years, you've got serious problems. I want to thank the women of this church that have been a good example to the young ladies in the church and young girls here in being modesty. The type and the way of adornment becomes an issue of loving and obeying God not personal preference at all. It's not personal opinion at all. It becomes an issue of loving, obeying God. And if you're going to err, err on the side of godly modesty. It becomes an issue of contentment or discontent with who you are. It becomes an issue of acceptance of God's design or rejection of God's design for you. Satan lies. And he says, you're not pretty. You're not beautiful. You're not handsome. You're not attractive. You're rejected and you need to do something about it. That's his lies to you. Remember, it was to a woman that Satan came to and he lied like a dog to her. We're going to talk about this tonight. I want to encourage every person in here. You need to accept God's design. I'm telling you, accept who you are. Accept who you are. Quit trying to make yourself like the world says you ought to look. They'll never get done with you. They'll never get done with you. You will never keep putting on enough to make them happy. There's 10 unchangeables, your physical features. I got a long nose. I'm not having surgery. Now, ain't nothing wrong with fixing your teeth. If your teeth can be fixed and make them smooth and stuff, that's fine. I'm not against something that's kind of, you know, but don't go off the deep end trying to change who you are. Our mental abilities, you can't change that. You can, you, can, you, can, you, you can make some adjustments to your physical features. You can make some, your mental abilities, you can stretch, you can learn all, but there's a built-in God-designed limit and so forth to your mental abilities. Your parents, you can't change your parents. I don't care how bad you hate them. You're not, they're still your mom and dad. You can't change your gender. I don't care how they cut on you. That's all a lie. And one of the stupidest lies ever in my life. You can't change your birth order. You can't change who are your brothers and sisters. You can't change your race, your nationality, your time in history. And you can't change aging and death. And you shouldn't want to change any of that. 
Accept who you are. That's one of the greatest days of your life is accept who you are. The principle of design, you'll either accept your design, be content, joyful, reject it, and get bitter and trying to chase the never-ending demands of the adornment of this world. Now, God gives five purposes for clothing in the Bible. Number one is for covering. He covered Adam and Eve in their nakedness. Clothes are covered. Aren't you glad for some clothes in this weather we've been having? Number two, for protection, the elements. There are certain clothing that protects you from you know, briars and this, that, and the other, whatever it might be. Then there's the principle of, of uh, gender. God sets forth that which is for female and that which is for male. And he distinctively does that. That's one of the purposes of, of clothing. And then there's the identity. Joseph had a coat that identified him as the favored son of his father. The Bible talks about the attire of a harlot. How many have ever seen pictures? Washington, D.C., during the Civil War had, I don't know, 30 or 40, 30 or 40 harlot houses, red light houses. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Prostitute houses. Had 30 or 40 of them. Unbelievable. Town was just swallowed up with prostitution. How many have ever seen photos of the prostitutes during the Civil War? There were more modestly dressed than the average American woman now. Sad. They stand outside the doors, you know, trying to whistle men in. More modestly dressed than the average American woman is now. Culture does not determine what God's word teaches. Fads and fashions and accepted in the culture things do not determine what's right. And then finally, clothing also the purpose for it is uh, authority. That's why officers have uniforms and so forth and things like that. Authority, clothing is an identification of authority. Clothing, as I said earlier, has a physical relationship to salvation. The Bible describes a lost man as naked before God. He describes a saved man as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you some examples of some raw rank hypocrisy that I've had to deal with right here in our church and school. Our school has rules. We just we can't have a school and have order and just let everybody wear what they want to wear and have the haircut like they want to have it cut and earrings they want to have. You know, we've got to have some order because people will go rank crazy on you. So we have it all set out for them. The girls wear skirts and they're to be below their knee. Okay. And you agree to these things. If you don't want it, don't, if you don't want that, don't send the kids here. And that's not the end of the world. It's fine. But for us to do what we got to do, we got to have some order and some standards. I've had mothers and dads. Oh, I want my kid in that school. And a girl comes to school with nice dress, skirt on, dress modestly. They come by to pick them up to go to a ball game. Are you listening to me? Come by to pick them up and get a ball game. Send the girl into our bathroom in here for her to put on a pair of shorts that comes up to her crotch. Now, I'm gonna, you listen to me tight, tight right here. Don't you miss what I'm getting ready to say. I want to ask you a question. Why would any daddy or mama who sent their child to a school here and wear a modest dress <clears throat> want their child to change clothes before they go to their ball game? Want to change it here? You tell me. Come on, somebody. Tell me. Why would a mama claim to want to serve God and obey God and be a Christian and send their kids? That's teaching a child to be, you talk about training a child in hypocrisy. Oh, honey, we're gonna, you're going to wear your skirt to school. You're going to be modest according to the Bible at school, but as quick as school's over. But honey, change your clothes there at the church bathroom. Now you tell me why. I want somebody to tell me why. Why did the parent want the child's clothes changed here and not at the ball game? Huh? They didn't want them to know what the kids is wearing. They're ashamed of it. Come on. 
and they were ashamed to walk into the gymnasium where they were playing their little volleyball game with a modest skirt on from their Christian school. I want to tell you something. You may not like that, but that's going to come before the judgment bar of Almighty God. You just will deal with it now before you get there. God have mercy on a daddy and a mama who promote that kind of garbage to their children. You'd be better off if they weren't in the Christian school. Just telling you the truth. I'd have never done that to one of my daughters. Josh, I'd have never done that to one of my daughters. I said, honey, I love you too much. We're either going to get on this side or that side. We ain't playing this fence game. I'm not going to make it. I have enough trouble keeping hypocrisy pumping out of my soul. When I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be such a blatant hypocrite. And that's what's going on. I'm telling you something right now. There's such a hold on Christian parents that they're ashamed of the faith they profess. That they don't want anybody else to see their children at the, at the wherever they're at, at the Y or wherever it may be. In modest clothing. They don't want their daughter to have to walk in there and all the other girls going, she's in a dress. Look at that nun. Yes, sir, buddy. Would you at least be who you claim to be? I'm going to try to be best I can. I'm not, I'll never be perfect. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I've been plenty of hypocrite. I know, I know I'm not consistent. But that's so blatant. And I'm going to tell you something, it'll blow up in your face because God ain't going. I'm going to tell you something, ain't Reg Kelly messing with you. You're messing with God Almighty. He'll blow that thing out of the water. You're right. Amen. God will blow you out of the water. You, met, you keep messing with that junk, God will blow you out of the water. Yes. The question comes why would any woman want to dress immodestly? Well, they may want attention. They may reject themselves, could be pride, could be rebellion, could be just sinful and wicked in the heart, could be a desire to arouse and cause lust. It could be just ignorance. Now listen to me. They just don't know. I believe with all my heart, there's thousands and thousands of young ladies out here that don't know any different. They've not heard it in church. They've not read it in the Bible. Nobody's told them. So I don't think you ought to go around condemning someone. But when a person knows different and is practicing something on one hand, but then willfully, you know, flipping, that's another thing. But some girl, some wife, some who's, I'll tell you what, you get saved, you know, it's just a different world. You don't know a lot of things. You're growing. We need to give time. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever condemn somebody who comes in this church ain't dressed right. You let me take care of it, okay? You let God take care of it. And if he wants to use me, he will. But don't you jump on nobody about how they're dressed when they come in here. Don't do it. You, you stick your hand out and you say, we're glad to have you. I had a text just before I started preaching from down in Georgia. And a, and a woman said, Reggie, I'm praying for you this morning. Don't hold back. But here's one of the worst reasons women may address him modestly. It's because they believe in their heart that's what men want. And they're right. Listen, there's nothing more beautiful, sweet than a marriage. But it's got to have things got to be kept in the bounds of God's word. She may have a perverted husband who calls her his trophy wife and wants her to parade around and asserts his manhood and trying to make other men that he knows jealous by praying his wife around him honestly. And if you are that way, you are one sick dude. You are one sick dude. And it could just be that she just has never won that battle of loving the world more than loving God. Women of the Bible, 
Paul mentioned many, but I would encourage you again. You'll never make me believe that Mary wasn't modest. Jesus conceived in her womb. You'll never make me believe she went around immodest. I could take you to scripture after scripture. You want to read about this substitute? Go back into Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets. They, hey, by the way, they dealt with it big time in their day. I looked up the word sobriety because it said that the women dress modestly and she to be sober. He said, Reggie, what are you crying about? Because I'm going to show you something a little bit on this wall. I don't know why it's grieved me for 40 years now. There's a lady burning in hell today, as far as we know, because of this issue. And I can't help but think about her because how deceived she was on this issue right here. Sobriety, I, I looked this up and it was a blessing. It says to be in complete control and command of one's passions. Isn't that good? We talk about the opposite of drunk. Be sober. Be drunk. See, when you're drunk, you're not in command of your faculties. God says, I want you to be sober spiritually. I want you to be in command of what what you're doing. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're bought with a price. We don't have a right to dress any way we want to. You see this right here? Jesus died and shed his blood and suffered. He redeemed me with his own blood. And the Bible said, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't have a right to dress any way I want to. Now, listen, I'm not I, I can't, I, I'm going to be honest with you, it makes me sick. Somebody get off on a tangent about dress, 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 and all stuff. I don't even like to preach on this junk. It's like, hey, wake up, grow up, and let's get on down the road, huh, man? But I'm here, and I'm not going to jump it. I'm going to say something to you. I never said this to my own wife. I like Wrangler britches. Used to wear them a lot, and I ain't got nothing against you. If you do, I, I got several pair hanging in my closet. But there's something happened to me several years ago. And my dad used to wear khaki breeches. All the time growing up, man, you remember he'd go out in public and wear khaki breeches. And I remember him assessing the khaki breeches. Now, I don't know if you know anything about it, but there's a way a man can dress that does not show tight. In fact, that's the way suit pants are designed to be. They're not pulled up to your crotch and tied on your rear ends up. And Karen, how long been since I wore a pair of my jeans? You probably don't remember, but I don't hardly ever wear them anymore. I might wear them around the farm a little bit or something. There's a reason. One day I put some on. Lord said they're indecent. Get them off. And that's for me. I, I'm not putting that on you. But I was one day, and my, my dad helped me with this, and I didn't talk to him about it, but I watched him. He's in public a lot. And he had enough sense that you don't dress in a way to attract people's attention to you or distract the message you're trying to get across to people. And he'd wear them khakis. And you know what I went? I went, I told Karen, I said, go find me some khakis. And I've been wearing khakis a long time. They're comfortable. I like them. But they're not tight fitting. Men can dress in ways that try to create lust and so forth in women. Attract their body and so forth. And it ain't right. Because this ain't just women, but the Bible does talk specifically about this. The outward worldly beauty of flesh and hair and rings and pearl and gold and tinsel and makeup. Clothing that displays the flesh. Now you listen to me. All of that can be bought. But inward beauty, it has to be wrought. It's the work of the Holy Ghost. I've seen women who was mean over to jail. I'm thinking right now of a lady who was in jail for, for murder. 
When I first started going to jail, she, she's usually in there kind of by herself. And I was standing there and tried to preach to the men over here and this lady's in the cell there. And, and she was hard. Well, I'm telling you what, hard faced. But I just kept trying to, to love her in the Lord and give her the word of God and encourage her. I led that lady to the Lord after several trips over there. And I never saw nobody in my life change. I'd walk in there, I'd tell you what, that hardness was gone. And the joy of the Lord was on her face. And she'd immediately start talking about what God had showed her in the Bible that week. Never will forget that lady's jail cell there. Back then, it was literally covered with the most nastiest stuff you've ever seen. I'm talking about the ceiling, that wall, that wall, the back wall, and the floor was a gray-based paint, and it, it, it didn't have room for another scratch with the nastiest, filthiest, vilest stuff written and drawn you've ever seen in your life in the ladies' jail. I walked in there, the jailer opened that jail cell, I started back there, and I'm turning right, and by the time I got there, she said, Brother, before I could ever see her, Brother Reggie, Brother Reggie, hurry. I've got to show you something. I walked down there. She said, look. And they had asked the sheriff to let him have a guy on the paint. And they had painted over all that garbage and that filth. And that, oh, I'm, talk, I'm talking about vile, nasty stuff. Painted it thick. And then they filled it with Bible verses. That's the transforming power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can change people from the heart. What a a jail cell or or a set of handcuffs or bars or a judge could not do, Jesus Christ did in the heart. And that lady led I don't even know how many other women to Christ that came through that jail. I'm telling you what now, she was a soul winner. And, of course, they couldn't get away from her. (laughs) She had a captive audience, amen. I want to say something to you. The Holy Spirit will not make you a self-righteous, modestly dressed nag. That bears repeating. The Holy Spirit, now religion will, but the Holy Spirit will not make you a self-righteous, modestly dressed nag, putting other people down because they're not where you're at right now. Putting other people down and exalting yourself. Let me tell you, there's a lot of girls out here need somebody to love them where they're at. God, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Quit waiting for people to get to where you think. As far as I'm concerned, ain't nothing hardly worse between here and hell than a self-righteous, modestly dressed religious nag who thinks she's going to straighten everybody else out. Ladies, in in a normal God-given sense, they want to be modest. You can't tell me. No girl, I've never, most girls, unless they're taught differently, want to be modest when they're little. Most girls wearing a dress, wind blows their dress up, they'll put that dress down. And boy, if there's boys around, they don't want them boys. And I'm not telling you truth or not. You know why? Because God put it in you. But men and husbands even, the women sense, want to see flesh and outward beauty and sensual adornment. I ask us men, what do we want more? What message are we truly sending to our wives and our daughters? Modesty or immodesty? People want to change the Bible. Act like it's irrelevant. I hear some of these idiots talking about deaconesses. There ain't no deaconess in the Bible. They'll always say, well, if you go back to the Greek, no, I don't need your Greek. It don't say deaconesses. It's not deaconesses, and it's not. It says the deacon must be the husband of one wife. I'll tell you that. So, so you'd have to be a transgender to fit your definition. Sodomites. 
that sodomite clip I put on about what the Bible says about gay, it went from 15,000, I think it's up to 185 or 190,000 views right now. And boy, am I getting the comments and the messages. Got a message from somebody right down here in Fayetteville, Arkansas this week. I mean, I know she's just spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, she's a sow, mean as hell. Well, I mean, made her matter in three hornets. But you listen to me. They'll tell you, well, if what you're saying is right, then we can't eat cheeseburgers. And they'll, I want you to get this, church, get this. You're here, I hope you get this. They'll try to tell you that the Old Testament is irrelevant and the New Testament, that Jesus never said nothing about it. That's a lie. Jesus said in the beginning, God made him male and female. He said everything about this issue. And he said it concise and instantly from the beginning, male and female. Jesus does have something to say about it. Romans chapter one says about there's all kinds of reference to it in the New Testament. But here's what they'll tell you. Oh, so you're going to go back there. And so according to you, then we're going to we can't eat a cheeseburger. And they'll take Watch this. They'll take dietary laws, flip them into moral law. And try to say it has no relevance because the dietary law has been set aside, right? New Testament, dietary laws have been set aside. You can eat whatever you want to. They'll also try to take the sacrificial law. The sacrificial law was completely filled in Jesus Christ. But they'll take those and flip them into the moral law. and, And then they'll take the woman caught in adultery and try to say that that law, is, God, Jesus never said that the moral law concerning the woman caught in adultery was neither, was not in precept nor in penalty. He said, go and sin no more. Go back to your Bible. David's committed sin. What did God, did God have him killed? No. And you know why? Because he found mercy in the eyes of God. And everybody has to find mercy in the eyes of God. And if you want to be under the law, help yourself, but it'll kill you so dead you can't, you won't know what hits you. But it doesn't mean it's right. Just because God had mercy in his long suffering doesn't mean your sin is right. And so it's the same thing with modesty. They try to tell us that it has no reference being on our spiritual life. It's not true. It does. It's all through the Bible. And something women, girls, I'd like for you to think about before we close. Will you still be wearing those skin tight clothing when you're 70? Why don't you just get happy with who you are and quit trying to be somebody you'll never be? Be attractive. If you want to be a modest, just be a modest with your husband. Amen? Not everybody else. In fact, I want to tell you a little something. My wife said this for years. She said, none of us are as pretty as we think we are. (laughs) Amen. Amen. When your body starts to change and you've had four babies <laughs> and you no longer feel and look good in those seductive, alluring, sensual, attractive attire, let me tell you what will happen to you. You'll start worrying and you'll be insecure because if you win him with your body, you're going to keep him, have to keep him with your body. And you see your body going sideways and you're, now you're afraid you can't keep him because you know how you got him. And this is a big one. What kind of man are you going to attract by the way you now dress? Immodesty will produce insecurity in a relationship of any kind. You are living in a God-hating and a Bible-rejecting culture. Nothing new. It was all back over there from time beginning. But you've got a decision to make in your life. And that is to obey the Word of God and the Spirit of God or to rebel against it. I'd like for you to start, Joel, with the slides. I want to tell you a little story and then I'm going to let you go home. I'm not giving an altar call. You do business with God the best you can. I want to show you a person here that the world told how to dress. And she became an icon in American culture of... What this, what this message is all about. Who, how many people know who she is? Raise your hand. Now, keep your hands up and look around you. Look around you. I want you to look at the impact. 
the impact of this is what I want you to get this. Marilyn Monroe, this is a, I want you to notice what it says up here. Watch this, the immortal Marilyn Monroe. The immortal Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe was known in the 50s for being sensual, seductive, immodest, and she set the tone that changed the way American women dressed. Their adornment, she changed it. And they used her to change it. Give me the next slide. She was known for her statement, diamonds are a girl's best friend. That's a lie. Diamonds are not your best friend. Jesus Christ is. That's just, you can go on to the next one. Now, how many knows what this is? Listen to me tight. Marilyn Monroe was contacted by Hugh Hefner, who owned Playboy magazine. Hugh Hefner offered her a million dollars to pose naked in Playboy. And she sold herself to do it. It launched Playboy magazine into a global magazine. It made Hugh Hefner super, super rich. The story people don't tell about is this, that Marilyn Monroe was soon thereafter found dead in her bedroom with opened bottles of barbiturates and pills of all kinds, dead laying in her own vomit with a note beside her that said this. It wasn't worth it. And I want to tell you women something. When you cave into the world and to your friends even and to your family and you violate God's word, there will be a day when you'll say it wasn't worth it. That's Marilyn Monroe at the morgue. Not quite so pretty. Not quite so adorned by this world. And my heart's desire for all of you here is to be happy with how God made you. And to by faith say, Lord, you know what? I just want to obey your word. I want to be attractive to my husband. I don't want my dress or whatever to distract from who I am internally. But Lord, when I stand before you, I don't want that to be an issue. And Lord, I don't want to be a stumbling block to my daughters and my granddaughters and to other young ladies that I may be around. And so I implore you this morning while we're in this service, I'm not looking for a bunch of people come up here to the altar. I'm looking for a Holy Spirit to touch your heart. And you walk out that door today. And you get in your vehicle and you're driving down the road and you say, Lord, please give me a heart. Liberate me. Liberate me and set me free from the bondage of the world's adornment. Set me free. And if that means walking into my closet, and getting rid of things that are immodest, that are displeasing to you, Lord. I'm willing to do it. I want to show you how sorry and low down this world is. Give me the next slide. You may not be able to see this very well. But this is a slide of Marilyn Monroe in her casket, her body in the casket at her funeral. They hired the very best mortician they could, money could buy to doll her back up. You know what? It, listen to me. They wanted to use her one more time. Living for them and giving everything she was to them wasn't enough. They wanted to use her even in her death to promote and keep her Go back to the back previous picture. I want to know how many people in this auditorium have seen that photo. Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five people. 
Did you see how many pictures of people all ago people knew about Marilyn Monroe, but you never saw her picture in the casket? There's a reason for that. Satan doesn't want you to see reality. He doesn't want you to know the truth. So they get, put the, the one in the casket back up. So the world, the picture they wanted you to see of Marilyn Monroe and death was right there. I mean, absolutely, folks, they remade her. They took photos and remade her, glamored her all up, and then put a, a veil. I mean, they, I mean, they went to no deal to deceive the American women. And we'll close and you can take that picture off. I ain't going to lie to you girls. Sister Landis, you got a wonderful bunch of girls and they're just sweet girls all the way to the I ain't going to lie to you. I met Karen. Heard of her and met her. I saw her and I thought she was awful pretty, Brother Ted. I was attracted to her. But even as a lost man, I want you to listen to me carefully. <laughs> even as a lost man, there was something that attracted me deeper than her outward beauty. I noticed it quickly. Not, I know Karen don't like this, but I can't help it. I'm the boss of my house, whether you are not. <laughs> she ain't going to tell me what to preach. She wasn't wearing a lot of makeup. She wasn't wearing a lot of jewelry. I ain't got nothing wrong. That's fine. Do what you want. I'm just saying what I saw in her, ladies, was she accepted who she was. She wasn't trying to be something. She wasn't. She was at peace with how God had made her. And I'm going to tell you what I did, Brother Lutz. I latched on with a bulldog grip and didn't let go until she said, I do. You listen to me. I ain't the only stupid guy running around the country planning on getting married. These boys down deep in their heart, they want a woman who's got command of herself. They want a woman who everybody else ain't telling how to live and dress and act and look. They really are girls. And the bottom line is this, and we're going home. Trust God. Trust his word. I hope you come back tonight. I know it's 1230. We got God all by ourselves. The rest of the churches are dismissed. <laughs> I love you. I appreciate you. And I thank you for listening to the message. Thank you for putting it. I hope it help you. And get up here trying to rant and rave about some pet subject. I hope it helps you. I'm here to get help from God. Now I'm going to embarrass the daylights out of some old boy back there. RJ, would you come dismiss church for us, would you please? I, I